Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, my guest on today's podcast is my friend Ryan Michael Painter, who's written a new book. We're going to talk about this book. And um, Ryan is here in my home, the author of this book, and it brings um, the story of his father who has passed away to light. Um, the name of the book is called The Unexpected Son. And I became aware of this book, and I encourage you to check it out when I was reading the Salt Lake Tribune, an article by Peggy, Peggy Fletcher Stack um, in November of 2020. And the title of her article is, If There's a Heaven, My Father is in It. Son Discovers His Dad, the First Person to Die of AIDS. So Ryan, in my home in his 40s, has written a book about his father, um, who died of AIDS when Ryan was seven. So that's, you know, 30 plus years ago. And um, this is just a book about coming together as the same human family. I'm active LDS. Ryan's mother, who's alive, is LDS. Um, Ryan is not participating in the church. His father um, grew up LDS and, and as a gay Latter-day Saint, has a journey there. And, but this is just a story about coming together as the same human family and, and Ryan's work to um, talk about his father. Um, and bring us together. Is that okay for an introduction for the book? Yeah, that's fine. Um, um, will you introduce yourself to our listeners, Ryan? Just um, where you live in Salt Lake, where you work, and just kind of a little bit about you before we get into the book. Sure. I, uh, I live right downtown in Salt Lake City, right in the, the middle of uh, the city, and uh, the heart of everything, uh, what, block and a half, two blocks from the temple. Uh, so, uh which is ironically kind of the place where a lot of this story starts. Um, my, my parents met in the avenues, but uh, I work for KUTV. I am an assignment editor as well as um, uh, the film critic. So I'm on TV at least once a week, which is a truly bizarre place that I never thought I'd end up being. But uh, that's, that's sort of actually the, the narrative of my life. If there's a theme, it's I never thought I'd be here, uh, but here I am. Uh, so yes, I work, I work in news, um, and it's been kind of an insane time to be working in news, to say the least. Uh, never intended to be a journalist, but I, I uh, had an opportunity in my late teens, early 20s to start writing for a magazine. I uh, did music initially, and then kind of moved into movies and arts and all sorts of things. Uh, and somehow I ended up then, you know, at, at KUTV in doing, quote unquote, hard news. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a kind of a, an insane adventure, but I, I, I think that it, you know, there's also a certain symmetry in the sense that when I was a little boy, because my, you know, my parents were separated and, and divorced, um, my mother who worked at LDS hospital had to get up early. And so I had to get up early. And in those days, you know, five or 6 AM in the morning, the only thing on was news. So as a kid, I watched, uh, a, a, a massive amount of news, never really thinking uh, that's something I want to do someday. Um, but maybe in a sense, I'm, I'm kind of paying back, um, you know, a sense of gratitude or something at this point. Thanks for the good work you're doing in our community, Ryan, and at KUTV and writing and in so many circles and uh, also with this book. Um, talk to our listeners about the book. Um, I'll just kind of turn it over to you. You could talk about you know, how many years you've been thinking about this book and just, you know, it coming about and why you wrote the book. This kind of lets you go where you want to go at this point. Yeah, it's been definitely uh, an um, evolution of things. Uh, you know, my mother presented the idea to me, I think right at around the end of high school when I was starting college. Um, I had uh, demonstrated a certain ability to write. Um, and I think I think in the back of her head, she always thought that maybe I would write it, but, you know, I wasn't raised to be a writer by any stretch of the imagination. I was, you know, my mother did make sure I was reading and we, we went and saw plays and things. So there, there's maybe a little more culture in my childhood than, than what you might expect, but it wasn't a, uh, ever, you know, you're going to be a writer, you're going to grow up and you're going to do this. Um, she never brought it up until I had already kind of set myself on that, that path. Uh, and at the time, you know, when you're, 1920 or, you know, in that age, I, I don't think you really want to be looking backwards. Um, 
I don't think there was enough space for me to appreciate what I had gone through as a kid. And I don't think there had been enough room for me to really think about it either. Um, when you're, you're growing up in, in, in a culture where your father is not viewed in a favorable way, and yet you love your father, um, I think that there is maybe, uh, I don't know, a tendency or a, to, to not really look at who he is. Um, to kind of keep that love in, in, in a box um, and hold on to that box, but not really opening it. Um, so that the, the initial journey uh, was me just trying to figure out what in the world this story, this book would be about, because to me, I didn't really live that unusual of a life. Uh, I had I had no idea, really. I mean, I knew that my life was different, but I didn't know that, you know, my mother... Um, who had a kind of a philosophy of, of you figure things out for yourself, you pray about it, you know, you make the decisions. And, and that was kind of the uh, way I was raised from very, very young. Um, it was always, you're the one who's making your decisions. Um, if you don't want to go to church, pray about it. And if you feel good about not going to church, don't go to church. And you know, maybe that was a little uh, leading, I don't know, because I always went to church. <laughs> How can you pray and not go to church? But at, well, that came later in life, perhaps. But, um, you know, so it took me a long time to even understand that there was any value in the story that, uh, of uh, my childhood. Um, uh, you know, I, I, again, I think, you know, when in middle school and in high school, I wasn't really open about the fact that I had a gay father. Um, and I kind of had to get to a point where I was comfortable with that. Um, the world, I think, needed to change a little bit. Um, and it, it definitely has changed since, uh, you know, when I initially started writing the book, uh, I think the world was quite different than it is now. And it, at that point, it was quite different than it was in the 80s. Um, because I was watching news as a child, I was very aware of, of AIDS, um, of gay rights, um, you know, in, in almost a way that, that was a blessing and a curse. I think it was ultimately a blessing, uh, but but I think when you understand um, that not only the church you're a part of, but the world itself is opposed to who your father is, um, that that has an impact on you as a person. Um, it makes you question things that you wouldn't necessarily question. Um, you know, if if everyone was loving and caring about my father, I wouldn't have gone on a lot of the explorations that I did because it was sort of a, a journey of trying to figure out why they hated him. Um, what was it about my father that made him such a, a terrible, horrible person, particularly when um, I was aware of what particularly horrible people were? Um, you know, I, I watched the news. I, I knew, you know, about various kinds of people who were doing horrible things. Um, and my father had never done any of those things. Um, and yet people said a lot of terrible things about my father. And so there was a, there was a, me having to come to, to terms with, with that my father was gay. Um, and, and honestly, I don't think that's something I should have ever had to even think about. Um, Agreed. uh, I think that, you know, I, I never looked at my father differently until other people told me I had to look at him differently. Um, and that became a struggle. Um, and, and, and I regret that I was ever um, afraid of revealing who my father was because that kept me from being able to talk about my father to his family, um, who may not have wanted to talk, but at least, uh, you know, particularly his parents. His parents, by the time I got to the point in this book where I was ready to talk about my father, because initially this was more of a tribute to my mother, um, because I wanted uh, my sisters who are uh, from separate marriage, uh, they're more than a decade uh, younger than me. Uh, they had grown up with a version of my mother that was wonderful, but who hadn't done some of the amazing things that she did earlier in her life. She, she, so I wanted, them, I wanted them to know who their mother was, um, because I thought that that was something worth celebrating. And that was sort of what ultimately it took me maybe 10 years to get to the point where uh, I could sit down and start writing about my mother. And then that journey took uh, 
much longer than I thought. I'm a very, I, I, I write, I can write for eight, nine, 10 hours in a row. And some, some days though, that, that means two pages. That means three paragraphs. That means I, I, it's not easy for me by any stretch. Um, and in fact, it's, it's really difficult. Um, and I think that's part of why I do it. Um, but it does take a long time and it's not that I'm not working on something. Even if I'm not writing, I'm always thinking about, um, stories and things. Uh, I always, I would have preferred to, you know, have my first book be fiction, but I could never, but it felt like this is the book that had to be written first. And I, I couldn't, I've written plays and other things, but nothing really stuck in the way that this has. And, and, you know, I, I needed to get this, this done. Um, for myself, but uh, also for, I, I think I, I discovered value in the story over the years uh, as I b- began to talk about my father more, um, a little more openly with people who were in, you know, safe spaces and whatnot and found out there were a lot of people who were struggling with a lot of the questions I was struggling with. Um, and it wasn't because they had, you know, a gay father, was maybe they had a gay friend or they had a gay neighbor or they had just in general, um, they, they weren't comfortable with the way that these, these people had been uh, turned into monsters or, you know, whatever. Uh, so, I mean, ultimately, I, I, I've got brave enough to look at my father. And that's kind of what the, the latest draft was. You know, my, his parents had died and I realized that they had taken a lot of memories with them that now I would never know at least in this life that I would ne- I never know about my father. You know, um, I ended up talking to some of his family members, but, uh, their, their family was sort of disconnected. Um, they kind of, uh, split. And so, and I didn't really know them. Um, after my father died, I didn't, I didn't really see much of, of my father's family. Um, and I'm sure there's a variety of reasons. Um, you know, uh, I think maybe everyone wanted to, to move on a bit. Um, I don't think that, uh, you know, I don't think any family wants to live, particularly, you know, an LDS family in the 80s probably didn't want to stay in a place where their their son or their brother had just died of AIDS, uh, first person in Utah. Um, they didn't want that out there. They didn't want anyone to remember my father as gay. Uh, they didn't want, they wanted to remember him as the little boy that he once was. Um, I think that they missed the point to a certain degree of that's the same person. And it always was the same person. Um, so, you know, I embarked on this journey and uh, I didn't exactly know where I was going. Um, after, you know, I, I'd written the book and my sisters have read it. it it's cha- it changed radically since then. That, that was a, an earlier draft. Um, um, they've read the new one as well. But, the, you know, the tribute to my mother draft was uh, one and a half drafts ago. And then the new draft is more, more of a tribute to both of my parents and an exploration of the impact that, that all of this had on me to a certain extent. Sure. Um, you know, the, the, the always wondering, you know, if my father had lived, um, you know, my mother was afraid because my mother kept my father in my life, which was a very unpopular decision um, for a lot of reasons, even for people who didn't know he was gay. Um, you know, he, he left the marriage, he should be punished for that sort of thing. Uh, and those who knew he was gay was, well, he's a pedophile. You need to keep him out of your life. You need to, you know, keep your son away yeah, from him. Go through the timing. Cause he died when you were seven. Yeah. So and when did the marriage, um, and yeah. this is obviously in your book, but sure. it sounds like most of your, your childhood, they were not together. Is that That's true? correct. I never remember my parents being together as a married couple. Um, okay. They were separated and divorced long before I was two years old. So I, all my memories um, of my father and mother together is basically them as, as friends, um, you know, or, you know, he, 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 was, he was allowed in our life as much as he could be. Um, and so he was there for birthday parties and, and I spent a lot of weekends with him when my mother worked. Um, it was a very healthy environment, to, to be honest. I mean, I look back, there's, you know, as a film critic, I see a lot of, a lot of films and there's been a few films that have been about divorce that I've watched that I, that I watch. And I think that, uh, well, it's great that 
I didn't go through any of that because there was never the, the, the real, I never knew my parents to fight or to, you know, disparage each other, or it was never that sort of atmosphere. It was, it was always, and I think that honestly, you know, that, that came a certain extent from my mother in the sense that she wanted my father around. And if she wanted my father, father around, no one was going to question her about it. Um, she set the tone. Um, she, she, you know, I, I don't know what her, her, her family felt behind the scenes. Um, they'd known she had gone through a terrible experience, um, most of which that they were unaware of. Um, but then she came out and was basically, you know, Mike is part of Ryan's life and that's the way it is. And we don't need to have any conversations going from there. So, yeah. So in the, my mother was, a. I mean, this is another aspect of the story that, we're, that, that kind of goes in a different direction. But my mother was a single parent in the late 70s, early 80s, which in the LDS church was a very difficult thing to be during that time period as well. Um, but I look at that, you know, now you can be a single parent in the LDS church and not viewed all that differently than anyone else, which to me suggests that there is a, a dramatic amount of progress that can be made um, within the church, uh, that, that there is a space for new ideas and new feelings because, you know, like I said, when my mother was, you know, she, most of the women um, who were single parents uh, weren't like my mother. My mother was educated. Um, that had been one of the things that her parents had basically insisted upon was you get an education. Um, and so she wasn't in a position where she needed outside help. Whereas a lot of single women in the seventies and early eighties and, and even going on into today weren't prepared for what happens if your husband leaves you. Or what happens if you are single and suddenly you need a career? Well, my, my mother had already, um, you know, prepared for all of that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess, you know, both my parents, I think, I, I view as somewhat pioneers. You know, my father being gay, my mother being a single young woman. Um, you know, and, and one of the things I did struggle with is, as I got older was the realization that my mother, if she hadn't have had me, would have fit into Mormon society so much more easily. There wouldn't have been any question of, okay, well, she's not married and she has a son. Right. So what's the math problem here? How do we add this together? How do we come up with whatever the sum is on this? And I always, I think, you know, my mother doesn't seem to have many regrets about that era, but I think I, I, I feel a certain sense of regret of being the thing that, that, made her different. Um, it's honest. Yeah. It, well, it was, it was, yeah, at, at the time, but at the time I didn't realize a lot of these things. At the, at the time I was loved um, by both of my parents. Um, and I was, I was amazed to find out that some people don't know that if they were loved by their parents, but I, I knew without a question that both of my parents loved me. Um, they respected each other. Um, and what I, you know, my mom had a great friend named Kathy who, who was a part of our lives. And, and, you know, I, I felt safe and secure, um, for most of my youth. So a lot of the things that I went through, you know, with my father dying or my father in the hospital, um, all of those things, they weren't nearly as difficult as they probably could have been simply because I felt like I was surrounded by people who loved me. There's a lot of great parts of what you just said. I love that your mom, Patty, I believe is your mom's yeah. name, did not separate um, you from her former husband. And how I'm going back to the, you know, the late 70s and, um, when this is going on and I'm just trying, to, I'm coming home with my mission during this time. You know, so I'm a high school, early college, and I just, and AIDS was just, I was just becoming aware of AIDS and, um, you know, I think it's a tribute to Patty, like you've said, that she felt her inner core compass said this, her former husband is, is fundamentally a good person and I want him involved in your life and that will help you. Even though society and maybe other voices were um, telling her she should do just the opposite. And I think, you know, one of the, 
blessings of that is your relationship. And I think it's made you a better person and, and has not added to additional pain by your father being out of your life those seven years, you know, and you have these feelings about him. So I think, Patty, that's a, a great parenting move in a complex situation where there's never been a release society lesson. Obviously, this is what you do. If you find out your husband's gay and he's, you know, the marriage is ending, you've got a son and now he's with, with a disease we know very little about. And there's a lot of misinformation about that. And that's an incredibly complex situation. But I think um, as you're writing and recognizing, um, Patty did just a great job. And she has a great son um, with a, a wonderful life. Who told you your dad was gay? Because I'm assuming when he's passing away, when you're seven, there's no vocabulary or need. No, it's no. It's not I, really a... No, I, I assume I, at some point you became aware your dad was gay. Yeah, well, I, I always knew. You always knew. I, I mean, that, that was, I mean, that's, that's, that, I mean. That's there, awesome. <laughs> there are certain parts of this that, that are, are a little strange in that sense is, is that I always knew my father dated men and I knew my mother dated men. Um. I went, I remember going with my father on, on a couple dates where we just went and watched a movie with, with uh, whoever he was, you know, with at that time or whatnot. Um, my father had, you know, a, it, it took a long time for my father to find a relationship that was stable. My mother was also dating, looking for a relationship that was stable. I saw that in both of my parents and that they were both looking for something that was not easy to find. I mean, that, that, that was the kind of, irony of it, I suppose, is, is, you know, there was, I always knew it, it was never a moment where I, I had this, this revelation, uh, or anything along the lines. And, and it was the same way with AIDS. Um, you know, when I was eight, maybe nine, I turned to my mom and it was during a newscast and we were watching and they were talking about the latest developments in AIDS and vaccines or, you know, not that, or in, you know, whatever that they had at that point, obviously we, ha we haven't really gotten to the point where we can cure AIDS, but we can keep people alive. But, uh, you know, I, anyway, along that, that journey, um, and I just turned to her and I said, look, I know my, that's what my dad died of. You don't have to carry this with you any longer. You don't have to tell me how he died. I know how he died. I'm, you know, and maybe that's, an, I, I look back and I, I'm in awe a little bit of that eight-year-old or whatever. That's, yeah. But I also think that, Being aware of a lot of these things helped me to give me a perspective and, but then it also led me into a lot of questions, um, that maybe had I been less aware that, um, you know, I wouldn't have had to ask myself or ask the world or ask the, the infinite beyond. Um, but you know, she, at that point she said, look, you don't have to tell anyone he died of AIDS. You can tell them that, um, you know, he died of pneumonia, which in, in a way is true. Yeah. Um, you know, pneumonia did ultimately kind of, um, you know, play the role of, of the executioner, but you know, he, he, he died of AIDS and, and at that time that was, it was still very much, um, you know, so was your father a, dr a drug user or is he gay? Which, you know, there's two options. There wasn't, uh, this was, you know, before Magic Johnson, this is before, you know, uh, a lot of things happened uh, and, and a lot of things happened at the end of the eighties that started to change the way that we, we saw AIDS and, and I think also the way we saw the gay community um, because people suddenly were starting to realize that they knew people in the gay community that they didn't realize were gay because that had been part of the life that had been kept secret, but it's hard to keep that a secret if they're in a hospital dying. Um, you know, uh, so I like that your mother, I love the transparency that occurred in your family situation. And I, you know, you're both, you're giving credit to your mom for that. And it's credit due that she, you know, let you be with your father, even as he's dating men. And she let you be with her as she's dating men. And she just trusted that, you know, that was the facts of your family situation. And and you could handle that in an age-appropriate way and that you gradually figured out how your dad died. And that was a conversation that you and your mom, and I think that de-shames a lot of just the family situation and allows you to process it in a healthier way versus just creating shame. Like, we're not going to talk about that. 
we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. And it sounds like Patty's creating a family environment where you're able to, it's just the the facts of your family situation and, and you're able to process it and talk about it. And I think that leads to healthier outcomes. And, you know, are you okay with this? Is that how you feel? Or yeah, I think to a certain extent, I think it's also important to, to know that my mother wasn't always completely comfortable <laughs> with everything that was, was necessarily going on. My mother, my mother put a lot of faith into the, I mean, there were people who would look at what my mother did and said she was crazy. Um, uh, but they didn't know all the details. You know, my, my father loved me. Um, and there's no question about that. And my father would not have allowed me to be hurt. Um, and I don't think most fathers would allow their children to be hurt, but, you know, gay, straight, or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, people didn't know my father. In a certain extent, my mother really didn't know my father that, that well either. Um, their relationship was always kind of a bizarre one. Um, but I think it's also, she relied on her faith. Um, this is, this is not a journey where she was, uh, I mean, religion was a huge part of how this happened in the sense that, you know, she had grown up believing that and being taught that, uh, that the family's important, that, uh, a child is, is better off with a mother and father. Um, and in her mind, the best person to be my father was my father. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there are people who view religion as, as a way to excuse hate and, 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 that, and that sort of thing. But my mother was, it was the total opposite for her. She, she almost felt like her only choice was to love and was to do these things that maybe a lot of people didn't understand. And, and, and it wasn't easy for her. Um, you know, I, I, I think she did some tremendous stuff that she wasn't, comfortable with. Um, I don't know that, you know, she, she liked the idea of me going on dates with my father, but I, you know, or, sure. or having even me being around when she was dating, you know, various people or, or whatnot. Um, but that was life. And we were kind of, you know, me, me and my mother were, were always very close. Um, you know, I was closer to my mother, obviously, because I, I lived with her than, than I was with my father, but, but, you know, I, I, again, it goes back to uh, the environment I was raised in felt safe. Um, and so when bad things happened, you know, you know, when you lose, an, let's say a wall of that safety and you're, but you're still left with three walls of safety, you still feel, you know, that there, there's, there's support around you. Um, so losing my father was difficult, um, but it probably got harder on me in my teens than it was when I was seven. Um, you know, when I started to be a little more cognizant of, of the way that my father was viewed. Um, I don't think at the time when you, they don't, I don't remember being in, in, in church and being seven or eight and them really talking about, um, gay, you know, it just, it, it didn't, I mean, they don't talk about sex when you're seven or eight. Why would they, they do that? It wasn't until, you get into your teen years where that starts to be something that they talk about um, more openly. And my mother always told me that, that they didn't know what they were talking about, that they had never met my father, that they didn't understand the situation. And any, I didn't have to listen to anything they had to say about it because I had firsthand knowledge that was radically different from their second, third, fourth hand knowledge, whatever they, they were going off of. Um, that, still had a huge impact on me though. The, the, the general hate for my father really damaged me, um, for a very, very long time. And I, and, and to, yeah, to a certain extent, I think it, it still damages me, um, because a child should never have to go, okay, well, I, I feel like I love my father, but why? And is my father worthy of me loving him or is he such a bad person that I shouldn't love him, even though I love him? I, it became kind of a, it was hard. Uh, I think one of the hardest things was not knowing how to answer questions from my bishop when, you know, do you affiliate with any organization that, you know, goes against the, the, the teachings of the church? 
yeah, I do. But I can't tell you that because if I start going down that path, you drag my mother into this. If I, if I tell you, yeah, my, my father is gay. Um, what, how does that, you know, what does that do to that, 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 you know, and how does that reflect on my worthiness? And there's just, there were lots of things that as a kid, you know, as a teenager, I was trying to work through and I hated going to those, um, those Bishop, you know, meetings because, uh, the Bishop interviews, because it was just like, I knew at one point in that interview, I was going to have to lie. Um, I think it was, if there's such a thing as an honest lie, um, because I was still trying to figure out why in the world my father and was an outcast, I, I guess. I, I, I didn't understand. Um, I knew him as, as a person, as a father, as someone that I loved, and I did not understand why that, that he, was, he was contrary. I, I didn't get it. Um, you know, he, he, he was born that way, and I always believed that. I always knew that. Um, you know, I never, uh, my father would not have chosen the life that he did. I mean, he, um, and I, and I believe that more confidently now than ever in my life, knowing his childhood and everything uh, as he grew up, he, he very much wanted to appease his mother. He loved his mother, wanted her to be proud of him. And there was this part of him that she could never be proud of. And I think that would have just destroyed him. And so why do we torture him further? Um, you know, and it so there's a lot of stuff there. You're um, doing a good job. Um, so uh, even the complexities of your own journey in the church and affiliating yeah. with your father, who's gay, and um, and your firsthand feelings about your father, who you love, and you you just see him as a wonderful father. Um, the Tribune article, and I'm sure your book mentions, he was a faithful member of the church. He served a two-year mission um, to Montreal, where his mission president loved him. Your father is just, I sense, a wonderful man. Talk about your relationship with your father um, as you visited his grave. Sure, yeah. Um, and, I, and you could share with our listeners where that grave is and yeah. just how you continue to connect with your father. Yeah, well, it, it's, so, so I went to Brighton High School and my father's buried, um, what, a mile up the, the road from there. So there would be times in, when I was in high school that I would go and visit his grave and, and whatnot but, and have conversations with him there. But I always felt like my father wasn't really there. I mean, there was always a part of me that, that felt like that was maybe, maybe it was a place where I could go and it was more because it was quiet and it's, it was a place that, that I wouldn't be disturbed because no one, you know, goes and bothers other people at cemeteries usually. Um, it's just, you tend to leave the people alone and let them do with the, you know, with their thoughts and whatnot. So I, but I always felt like my father was with me. I never really felt that he was gone. Um, and that was also a struggle because I was at church taught differently or, or at least to, you know, that, you know, your father won't be in heaven. That's, that's not what's going to happen. And yet there was that part of me that always thought, yeah, he is, you know, I, I don't. And so the disconnect throughout my life is, is, has been difficult. Um, uh, you know, my, my mother taught a, a version of being LDS that I don't think that a lot of other people taught. And I don't think it's, it's that her version is more radical. I think it's, in fact, it's, it's less radical. Um, I think hers is, is a little more simplistic in, um, and I don't want anyone to think that my mother's perfect. Um, there's plenty of evidence to suggest otherwise, but I think she approaches life in, in a perfect way in that go with what you feel like is right, pray about it, and then do what you know, make that decision and go with that decision. Um, and I think a lot of people in religious environments don't feel that sense of freedom. I think they feel like, well, this is what I'm told. This is what I need to do. I can't question this. Um, I think you can question things. I don't think that, that asking a question is a bad thing. Um, I think anyway, but, but I think with my father, he was constantly there. I was constantly talking with my father, trying to work things with, through things with him. Um, it would have been phenomenal if he had lived so I could ask him some of the hard questions of, you know, did you still believe? Um, where, where, what was your journey of faith? Where did you end up in, you know, um, you know this, this thing that you love hated you? And, and how did that impact you? And, and where did, you know, ultimately did that take you? And 
you know, I, I don't know. And that's, that's one of the really challenging things. And I think if he had been able to tell me, I would have a better sense of, of where I fit into all this and where, what, what I should think. Not because I always listen to what people tell me and they believe me or what, but, but because he experienced things that I didn't experience and his experiences would have informed me as to how he felt about these things. And it's important to understand how people feel about things, uh, that we listen to how they feel about things. Um, cause we're all, we all react to things differently. I think we're all, we are uniquely us. Um, and, and really that's a lot about what kind of drove some of the aspects of writing the book as well, was that I want to know who my father could have been, you know, had my father been allowed to just be him. Um, I would have loved, I would have loved to see that person. I would have loved to, to, to meet that man. Um, and, and to a certain degree, I, I, I feel like I've never been able to be who I was supposed to be because I was weighed down with a lot of these questions and, and things. And it would have been just so much easier if I just knew. Um, and maybe none of us know, you know, I mean, that's, that's part of the journey, but I look at a, a lot of my life. If I had been able to write this book as it's written now, 20 years ago, my life would be radically different. Interesting. Um, I've come to, you know, the journey has brought me to, to a place where, um, I guess I can be more honest with myself. I can, I can actually have more confidence in myself because I always wondered, um, you know, would I have stood up for my father had he been alive? And, and that was one of the things my mother was afraid of. It also factored into why she kept him in my life was she was worried that knowing the culture we were growing up in, that at some point, I would reject my father because he was gay. And she wanted me to have as much time with my father as, as I, as I could. Um, and she made these decisions and people think, well, it's, it's kind of easy because he died when you were seven, but you have to remember she had no idea. They had, my, my mother was looking on, on this situation as if he were to live to be 90. Um, and she wasn't trying to cram, you know, let's make sure Ryan has experiences with his father before he's gone. Um, it, it was more, let's make sure Ryan has experiences with his father so that he'll keep his father around and that he'll love his father. Um, and so it, it's a complicated situation, but really the, it, it's simplistic in the sense that we, I think as individuals are programmed to love. And sometimes we fight against, against that and, and overcomplicate things. Um, and there are bad people in the world, but, you know, it's not because they're gay. It's for other things that they've done. Um, and so I'm really appreciative um, but, but of, of the fact that my mother kept him in my life. But I did have to kind of address, I carried that with me. What if my father had lived? Would I have rejected him at some point? Um, would I have, is it possible that, when I was 15 or 17 or 21 that I would have, you know, by, for whatever reason, environmental reasons, whatever, you know, whatever decided that I was not okay with who my father was and that I didn't want to have anything to do with him. Um, and I had to, I asked myself that question for a long time. Uh, would I have rejected my father? And I think the best thing this book did for me, um, is verify what I always knew. No, I never would have rejected my father because I love him and whatever flaws he has are insignificant to, uh, you know, he was, he was not a great husband. He was a phenomenal father. Um, he, you know, I, I mean, there's really no other way around it. And he was actually, he was a phenomenal ex-husband. I mean, which is kind of an unusual kind of way to look at things, but he was, you know, it wasn't, were things perfect? No. I mean, there was conflict and there was uncomfortableness and whatnot, but it wasn't the overriding feeling. I mean, family for me, you know, I had a great, my mother's family, extended family were great to us. Um, I, I had a really a phenomenal childhood. Um, 
because I was free of a lot of the questions that ultimately I'd have to ask myself as a teenager and adult. And, um, but I, I love my childhood writing, writing parts of the, the book about me as a kid. I, I, I actually really love that little, little Ryan. Um, he's such a fun, crazy little imaginative, um, uniquely him sort of thing. It was the, the sort of character that, um, really I could, it, it, I could write about him for forever. Um, and his imagination and his, his resilience and his just, I mean, it was just, it was magical time for me, really. Uh, you know, childhood was, was magical. So even in, with the fact that my, you know, my father died of AIDS in 1983 and everything that surrounds all of that, um, it still was a very joyous and, and period of my life. Um, the, the cover of the, the paperback is uh, an iron lung that's been kind of transformed into a, a rocket ship. Um, uh, Cindy Bean, who did some of the artwork with me, uh, that, that's in the book. Basically, my father was in an iron lung at one point. And they were really worried about, well, how are we going to you know, take you know, the seven-year-old boy and bring him in to see his father in an iron lung um, and it not be traumatic. How, how, how can we make this? And so my mother being, uh, knowing me and knowing that I had loved Star Wars and knew space, loved space and loved all these things, just said, Ryan, he's in his little spaceship. Um, I never actually saw him in the iron lung. Uh, when I did see him during that period, he had, he had come out of the iron lung, but in my head, that the cover that she designed is exactly what I envisioned. That's the spaceship. Um, she, she nailed it in a way. And I, I didn't ask her to do that design. Um, that's one of the wonderful little kind of things along the journey. When you collaborate with people um, on, on these things, they, 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 when people read my book, they, they, they are drawn to certain aspects. It's different for every person. Um, it's hard for me to tell people what my book is about because it's about a gay Mormon. It's about a single Mormon. It's about a single mother. It's about um, my mother working at the hospital where my father, you know, would die. My mother having to play a role or choosing not to play a role in, in, she's a hematologist. She works with blood. Well, you know, AIDS, blood. Well, that's kind of, you know, the toxicity, I suppose, of the, at the time, the uh, hazardous waste elements, you know, signs going up in the hospital. She had to endure that. And it wasn't a secret that that was her, ex-husband. So there was a, a lot of, I mean, there's a lot that goes into this story um, that, that almost feels like I couldn't have made this up. Um, there's, there's just the way that the, the things played out. Um, it, it, I, I guess some people would say that's how it was meant to be, and maybe it was, but you know, this book was never um, predestined. This book was never, I don't feel like, I, I mean, I had, to, I had to make the decision to write this book. And I struggled with the decision to write this book. Um, and I still struggle with it, uh, to be honest. It's not, it's not easy walking into a room um, and people know things about you. Um, and you don't even know their name. Um, or, I mean, the, I have coworkers who have read the book. And that's not... You know, I mean, it's like, well, it's we're, very vulnerable. You know, it's, it's not, it's not easy. And, 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 um, it never will be, you know, um, as I've gotten more confident telling my father's story, it's, it's still, I'm putting a self, part of myself out there that, um, almost expects to be rejected. Uh, and, and that's, that's scary. It's honest. Well, it's, it's, you know, and, but I think also my mother's part in this story, she, she, she was always, no, tell the story. Let's, you know, include everything. Um, it wasn't, ah, let's cut that out. And, that, and that's actually, that was the hardest part of the book because I would write certain things about my father and I would look at it and say, you know what? If people hold tightly onto the fact that my father was not a great husband, because he wasn't, um, he wasn't the worst husband, but he wasn't, he wasn't a good husband. What if they held on to that and refused to see what he did afterwards? How do I keep my father being a sympathetic character, not only in this book, 
but in my head, um, you know, knowing that, that, I mean, my parents' marriage was horrible. Um, it was abusive on a psychological level, uh, probably for them both, but that's what makes, uh, I guess that's the thing you, for everything she was going through, he was going through something as well. Um, he was trying to live an idea that, uh, you know, up to an ideal that he could never honestly live up to. Um, you know, he, he, I don't think he, he, uh, could have ever been happy trying to live the double life that a lot of people led during that era. And, and, you know, my mother saw aspects of that. She would, you know, he didn't introduce her to other couples who were a gay man and a, uh, you know, straight woman. And my mother didn't want to identify with a lot of those women because she didn't, she saw them, uh, some of them as being what uh, weak, being pulled along, um, you know, and, and not knowing those women, I don't know if that's really what they were, but I think, um, you know, she didn't want to be associated in, in, in that, you know, as a straight woman with a gay man, sort of, I don't know, it's, 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 it's whole different mentality. My mother could probably explain it a lot better than I could, but, um, I, so many good things you said in there, Ryan, um, a couple things brought tears to my eyes is your mother's decision to not separate you from your father. And your point that she didn't know he was going to die when you were seven years old. And she could have just said, well, I'm going to separate you until you're a teenager and you sort of process this. And, you know, I just think that not only helped heal you, your mother doesn't have regret now and your father on the other side because he, I think, I think of him and how much that time means to him still right now. And that you have this kind of relationship with him and can talk about him in this book and in this podcast and in your own mind and at the, his graves, at his burial site with such love towards him. I, th this is just me speaking. I think he's aware of all that. And I think when we go to the other side, we have the same human emotions and same needs. And that need for love and support and people that care about us to continue to care about us, I think that is incredibly healing to your father. Well, and, and for me, the, the current struggle uh, is, is to no longer refer to my father in a past tense. To show with our listeners why you don't do that. <sighs> well, I, it, it's it's... I don't know if it, it basically as, as I think when I think about my father and as I've written this last draft, I think, um, you know, do, do I refer to my father as, as he was gay? And I think to suggest that if that's a part of who he was here, and if that's something that, that matters in personality and everything that we take on to the next life, I think my father is still gay. Um, and he's still my, just as much as he is still my father. Um, and in as much as he is all the things that he was when he was alive, uh, I don't want him to be a dormant memory. I don't want, he's, he, he is an active part of who I am, whether he's in the room or not. Um, you know, I don't say he was my father. He is my father. He, he is gay. He is lovely. He is kind. He is gentle. He is the guy who loved Diet Dr. Pepper and used uh, milk gallons full of water as weights. You know, I mean, we, he tanned and he's the guy who tanned in the bathroom under a lamp, uh, who had the, the home that was, well, the, the condo that was kind of extravagant, except for the room where he and I would always stay, which was very plain and normal. And um, so he is these things as much as he ever was. These things didn't, he doesn't, you know, leaving this existence. And if he goes on to another, if there is another existence, he's still that person because he's a whole, he's not, it's not, we don't, I don't, he, it wasn't the parts of him that were great for me. It was, it was all of, and what if you take away one aspect of him? What, what happens? Who is he? Well, he's not him. 
any longer. So that's that's one of the things that I, I challenge myself with right now is is to, to and I think that I mean I think this works for everyone. Um, my you know my grandfather passed recently, but he's my grandfather. He's also a soil scientist, even though he hadn't been a soil scientist for you know decades. He's he's a lot of these things. They are who he is and what he is, and they're part of what he is. And uh, so I still try to sell. You know that's part of the growth period process for me is to celebrate. Um, who my father was uh, as a whole, rather than just loving him as a father. I mean, actually sitting down and, and loving him for every fault, you know, and uh, that he had and, and every strength that he had. Um, and, and that's the only way that I can keep moving forward. Um, I love that section. I think that's just a beautiful section. I just, I wrote down, you just honor him when you talk like that about him. And I hope he hears that. Um, I think you talking about um, you believe he's gay and he is gay and he's gay in this life and he's gay in the next life. I think I love that because I'm sort of hearing that thinking this is my son who loves everything about me and he's not embarrassed about any part of me. And even this part that was so difficult um, to understand mortality, my son has come to the point where he he is pleased with that part about me. I don't know, you know, I hope I'm using the right vocabulary here, but you accept, you support that part about him. You're not embarrassed about that part about him. You openly talk about that part about him. To me, that I, I believe in the next life and I believe he's there and I believe he's aware of these sort of feelings. I don't know if he hears the actual words or hears the impressions or I don't know, but I think it's just me speaking. I think it's incredibly healing for him. And to hear that from his own son, I don't think it means, there's no person it means more from than his own son to feel that way about him and to know that this short period of time he had with you has resulted in these kind of deep long-term um, this this bond that that will continue, I believe, for eternity. And I, to me, I'm going to read a review from the Amazon website because um, I was reading some of your book reviews. Um, this is just a. If we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, listeners, to me, this is putting it into action. And this is a review. The book is truly a testament of love. I was particularly moved by Patty's narrative. There are so many times during the story when anger, fear, and resentment would have been the natural reaction. Instead, it's a story about love, compassion, and charity during the most challenging circumstances, lessons we could all learn from. Ryan Painter has artfully told his family story. He has managed to balance the heavy, significant subject matter with more lighthearted and adults to keep the peace from feeling weighted, to keep the pace from feeling weighted. Overall, enjoyed this book and found the themes within it to be very relevant to us today. I don't know if you've read that review. There's a bunch of other really positive reviews on Amazon. But to me, um, this this ability of love to it's the healing balm that bring that heals us in our differences. And there's a lot of differences in this story. It's one of the most complex stories I know. And you're in the middle of it. <laughs> and you, I just want you to know from me, a fellow traveling this road, and you don't like to be, you don't want this book to be about you. Um, I sense you're, that's not what you're trying to do here. But what you've done here to me is you're, you're teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're teaching us how to love. And you're teaching us how to, how to come together in our differences and heal each other and find common ground that brings us together as the same human family. Um, and it's a, it's a remarkable work of love. That's the only thing I can describe it. And it's an incredible tribute to your parents. I think uh, along my journey, um, I think that the one thing that, that when I've talked to people um, about my father and, and people who are looking at the same sort of things I'm looking a different perspective, but they're, they're looking at the same questions that, that, that I've been asking myself for, you know, a long time. 
the one thing that they're looking for more than anything else is permission to love. They just want someone to say that it's okay. Um, you know, my mother told me very, very early on, it's okay to love your father. So I, you know, I always had that reinforcement in my head. Um, her voice was always in my head whenever anyone would say anything horrible that her voice was in my head. And I think a lot of people just need to know that it is a legitimate um, option. That there is always the opportunity to simply just love. Um, you know, people think, well, it doesn't feel right. You know, I know that they tell me that this is wrong and that I should reject this person or, you know, you know for whatever reason. I mean, this goes well beyond uh, just sexuality. Uh, this is... This is a much bigger picture sort of thing, but I just feel like I should love them. Well, yes, do it again. It goes back to do what you feel is the right thing. And I know very few people who think hate is a much more enjoyable experience than love or that it, that, that hate is somehow a remedy. It's, it's not, you know, love is a remedy. Love, love is, is the only thing that dragged me through a lot of what I've been through in my life. Um, I didn't want this book to be about anger. There ha has there been anger? Yes. Sure. Has has my mother been angry? Sure. sure. You know, I mean, there, yeah, that's that isn't, but that isn't what dominates our story. Um, so I I I think that just knowing that you have the option to love is is really more about what this is about. I'm not trying to tell anyone how they should feel about an experience. I'm just saying this is what we did and. Ultimately, you know, love was what got us all through it. Um, listen, there's a podcast, you know, this is going to be an episode in the 300s, listeners. If you want to listen to another podcast that's sort of in the same area, it's episode 111. Brian F um, Fugel um, joins the podcast with his gay father, Lawrence, um, and he just you know, talks about the same things that Ryan's teaching is how to keep relationships together. Um, Brian's father, Lawrence, is not in the church um, in a same-sex relationship. I believe from memory that's true, but they're just the same family. And I think that's exactly what Ryan's doing here. And Ryan made an interesting point. He said people sometimes naturally want to love, but sometimes we create a, a I think I call it a false dichotomy that to fully love and follow God we have to stop loving some of his children. And I just think that's a false dichotomy. I think, you know, if I really live the gospel of Jesus Christ, to me it's about my covenant keeping or my living is about loving others, especially people that are different than me. And I may not fully understand or people on the margins. That seems what Christ did. I don't want to take too much time to share any of my own story, but um, in the book I wrote called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints on page 270, I do sort of talk a little bit about, um, I'll just read this. Um, in July of 2019, my podcast featured Luke Warnock, who had recently graduated from Salt Lake Area High School, where he had come out as gay. He had served as student body president, was a key member of the state championship basketball team. Luke, who is not a member of the church, is attending college and hopes to marry a man. The month after I interviewed Luke, I attended my 40-year high school reunion. As part of that reunion, we watched a tribute of all those who graduated from our class who died, including a few that were gay. In 1979, it seemed many LGBTQ individuals left Utah for major cities where there's more acceptance and a feeling of belonging and support. Among the deceased was one of our finest from our class, but I never became his friend because I felt uncomfortable on gay people and wasn't sure how to navigate this as an active Latter-day Saint. As I sat there in the auditorium, I felt sad this good man was gone and not there to enjoy the reunion. I thought about his parents and siblings and their sadness and his passing, and our society would have been brighter with his contributions. Then I reflected on my friend Luke and the report he's receiving as he moves forward in his life. Luke and one of his friends, Andrew Heath, from his basketball team, visited with me at home. Andrew, who is preparing for an LDS mission and now on that mission, reported nothing changed when Luke came out as gay. 
Andrew didn't withdraw his friendship. He already knew he didn't have to choose between supporting his gay friend and being a committed Latter-day Saint. As I sat there in my high school reunion looking at the picture of my gay classmate who died, I wish I had had the tools Andrew had to extend this kind of friendship and kindness 40 years ago. Could I have made a difference for good in his life? And I needed permission that you were just talking about, Ryan. I didn't have the permission to extend the love to my friend Dave, is his name, um, back in 1979. And I wanted to. I just... And so that's why I love your book and your work and your pod and this podcast um, and your great heart. <laughs> and I just am so moved by your story. And I just love the way it honors your father. And I love the way that you believe he's in heaven. I believe in loving heavenly parents that truly understand each of us in our unique journeys. And I could never judge another person standing with God. I think if anybody on this earth is in a position to judge where your father should be in the next life, it's you. If anybody could make that determination, which you, you'd be uncomfortable doing, but you would be the most qualified to do that. And, you're, and, you're, and perhaps your mom, who knows the complexities of this situation, who seems awfully kind-hearted and gracious um, to the complexities. So I just think all of us should leave judgment to the Savior and his perfect understanding, and our job is to love um, and do the things that Ryan's suggesting. I, I encourage people to go to the book. The podcast doesn't allow people to see pictures, but I've just been looking, turning the pages in the Tribune article where there's pictures of, there's two pictures of you and your dad here. I don't know. Will you tell our listeners a little bit about those pictures and how you found them and what they mean to you? There aren't a lot of pictures of me with my father. Um, uh, there's no particular reason for that. I don't think. I, well, one thing we didn't take as nearly as many photographs in the '70s, early '80s as we do now. <laughs> um, otherwise, there there might be a lot more. But uh, my my father was usually one taking photos, so uh, he he didn't necessarily. There's not a lot of me and him, but when he would come over, my mother would take pictures of us together. And so there are pictures of me making, you know, Easter eggs with him. There's me in my Halloween costumes, lots of pictures of me in Halloween costumes. It's kind of been a, a theme of my life, a lot of costumes. Um, uh, the, you know, there, but my, the, the pictures that I do have with my father, though, they're all very, um, there is a sense of normality and love and, and, and warmth there. They're very, I'm trying to think if we have anything that's actually staged. And I don't know that there really is. It's all, you know, natural, natural things. Um, you know, moments happening, um, uh, us standing in the backyard or, uh, you know, just, just really, really kind of normal things. And I think part of the hard thing about writing this book for me on that side was I, life with my father was, was very normal. Uh, on many levels, you know, and I think that in, in some ways terrifies people because if being gay, you can have a normal life, what is, well, doesn't that make them kind of normal? And if they're normal, isn't that they're more like us? And, you know, I, and I think that was kind of the struggle too, of why do I need to write this book? And my dad was so normal. Um, you know, uh, so that's, that's, but yes, the pictures, there pictures aren't many, are great. they aren't, there aren't many, but they are all cherished. And, um, you know, it, there's maybe a dozen or so photos of me with my father. And I, I sometimes look at them just to remember what he looked like. Um, because I don't know that I would find him in a crowd if, if I would, you know, to walk into it. But my heart says otherwise. My heart says you, you something would go off inside of me that would say, "This is your father," and you know that, that I would instantly know. But but on a, a physical visual level, there are times where I I don't remember what my father looks like. Um, great podcast. Any final things you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I think when my father died, there was a lot of expectation for people. Or when he got sick and went to the hospital, there that did the people around him would reject him. And, and the amazing thing was, is he had many coworkers. He had many people who, you know, knew him as a straight man 
who loved him as a straight man who didn't stop loving him when they realized that he was gay. Um, and in fact, it, it became a moment for a lot of them that started to open their eyes. Because if, if Mike, who we, we really like Mike, we love Mike, well, if he's gay, um, doesn't that change everything that we've ever thought about, uh, you know, gay people in general? Um, he doesn't live up to, you know, these stereotypes. Um, and I think that that scares people to a certain degree. And I think one of the reasons why we are slow to embrace things that are different is because we're afraid to find out how similar we actually are. And that's been my journey. Um, you know, my father had a different journey for me, but at the heart of it, um, we need and want the same things. And whether that be approval or love or just support, um, you know, I, I feel like I have my father's love and support and I always have had my father's love and support. And I've usually had my mother's support as well. Um, a couple of times I've strayed a little bit, but that's, I, I think that's the thing. It, 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 none of these lives are radically different. We're all fundamentally the same and we all desperately just want to be loved and to be hugged and to be appreciated for who we are. Um, thank you, Ryan, Mike, Michael Painter. Great podcast. Um, once again, the book is called The Unexpected Sun. It's at Amazon and probably other places. Um, we'll link to it in the podcast notes. We'll link to Peggy Fletcher Stack's Tribune article in the podcast notes. Um, and thank you for just being on the podcast, um, deeply touched and, and the honor you bring to your wonderful father, Michael. And this is Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted, <laughs> hosted obviously by Richard Osler. Mm -hmm.